Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. This week, I'm going to be chatting with Gloria Pancrazzi, who's been on here several times. She's definitely one of my favorite guests and a dear friend of mine. Um, So I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. But before we do that, I want to get back on track with our Whale of the Week because I haven't included that in, I think, the last two. So um, getting back to that. So this week, um, I'm going to highlight Ocean Sun, um, also known as L25. So she is the longest living southern resident killer whale that we know of. So she was thought to be born in 1928. She has outlived her son, Mega, who um, was L41. He died in 2019. And she's the oldest living southern resident in the community, which is amazing. Um, she seems to be related to Tokite or Lolita, who is the Southern resident that is, um, in captivity at the Miami Sea Aquarium. Um, so yeah, that's, um, a pretty incredible story. She's definitely seen a lot, um, in her time here. So that is our whale of the week. And we're just going to have a quick message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Blackfin Coffee. Blackfin Coffee is an e-commerce coughing roasting brand based in Seattle, Washington, and I want to tell you guys about them. I was really inspired by the brand's focus to initially partner with PNW Protectors and Lock Arms to help save the southern resident orcas in the Pacific Northwest. For more information about them, visit www.blackfin.coffee. That's blackfin.coffee. For our listeners, Blackfin is offering 20% off your first purchase when you use the promo code BREACHEXTINCTION at checkout. Again, head over to www.blackfin.coffee to redeem your promo code today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. This week, I've got Gloria Pancrazzi here with us again. She was one of the leaders of the March for the Dams and is one of the co-directors of the film Co-Extinction. Huge orca lover, amazing human, great friend lucky to have her on here i'm very excited for this chat and yeah thanks for being here i'm so grateful to be here and always love talking with you about how we can save these orcas and all the little different layers to it yes me too um so the conversation that we intend to have today is absolutely a difficult conversation and i'm going to preface this with saying that this has been easily the most like two difficult weeks of of the podcast that I've experienced thus far um emotionally at least um just because there's a lot of turmoil happening within the southern resident community and it's hard to see and um I've done some digging into things and found information that I didn't like and and that was upsetting and um I just want to preface this by saying we're here to listen we're here to understand we're here to look for solutions absolutely in no way are we looking to villainize anyone um and i just ask that even if this is hard for some people to listen to that they stay the whole time and and hear us out and if there's something that you're confused about or something that doesn't make sense or if you feel 
that something that we said is incorrect, please let us know um, because that can happen too. But yeah, I just want to want to start out with that. Yeah, I think that's so important. And we've both talked so much before starting this podcast about our, our uh, fears and, and that it is, um, I think, as long as we lead with, you know, uh, heart open, heart forward, both on, you know, Erica and I's end and on whoever's listening right now. And also, um, yeah, with truth as like your compass. And I always say this too, with the orchids as our compass, um, then yeah, we can have, you know, effective and productive conversations that can lead to really, truly saving the Southern resident killer whales and the salmon. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I'm so glad that I, you you said using the orcas as your compass to me a few weeks ago, and that's honestly been one of the things that's been getting me through the last two weeks of of how heavy this has been. Like, I feel like my heart is like as heavy as that pregnant L pod whale, like with this, <clears throat> and you, like just remembering that, like at the end of the day, like we're like I'm like this is about the southern residents and nothing else. Um, well, of mm. course, there's other facets to it, but like at the end of the day, <laughs> that's the goal. So I guess we will dive right in and and there were some some themes of this in the conversation that I had with Shelby and a little bit when I talked to Cole um, as well, but we are going to talk about the new paper that was recently published titled Effects of Vessel Distance and Sex on Behavior of Endangered Killer Whales, as well as the new regulations that have been put in place for 2021, which I've touched on in other episodes, but we're just going to go back over it again and elaborate some more. Yeah. Do you mind like explaining what the, what the reg or I can also do it yeah. if you want, but explaining um, what the regulations are? Yes. So, um, WDFW, which is Washington's fish and wildlife department just put in new regulations in regard to the Southern residents. So, um, right now in 2021, the Southern residents can be watched for a limited period during the year. So I believe, what is it? The summer months? It's it's from July to September. July to September. Um, I have them right here. Yes. It's um, um, yeah, July to September. Yes. So they can be watched from July to September um, from a distance of 400 meters, which is the same distance as it was before, limited to three commercial whale watching vessels um, and a like minimum of 30 minutes. Also, if you watch the whales in the morning, you can't watch them in the afternoon. And there's two time periods from 10 to 12 and from two to four. Three to five. Oh, Sorry, three to five. I, I totally told you to do it, and then I pulled up the, the regulations. Up. Thank um, you. I'm, well, I'm glad. We got to have the right thing on here. So, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> excellent. So, those are the new and, regulations. <laughs> and then there's also a no-go zone on the west side of San Juan Island, which is where the southern residents used to spend a lot of their time foraging um, and socializing and, and all of that. So, there's a no-go zone for commercial whale watching boats only. Um, and yeah, the no-go zone applies year-round regardless of Southern resident killer whale presence. Um, yeah. And, uh, I wanted to say I'm so excited to, I mean, not excited, I guess, but I'm, I think it's so interesting to look at these regulations because I do find that they open up a conversation for, the bigger issues and reasons why we haven't yet saved these orcas. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I've been finding it very interesting to delve into it because even just when they came out, I, I has, I didn't know where I stood on them at first and did a lot of reflecting. And so I guess I kind of want to share that with people. 
um, where I stand on them, what my thoughts are on them. And first, I think it's important to go back to the beginning and for people who might already notice, but some people might not know, um, why are the Southern resident killer whales dying? What's happening to them? And Mm -hmm. so to be able to discuss these whale watching regulations, we have to explain this first. And so the Southern resident killer whales eat fish, primarily salmon, and the salmon populations are steadily declining on the coast. They're also facing extinction. And so the orcas are starving. They're starving to death. We've seen it with a lot of, of these whales, um, some young ones, some young matriarchs that were supposed to live much longer. Um, and it's always really heartbreaking to see. So that's the, the, the you know, I, I call it the biggest piece of the pu- puzzle. But there is other issues that is coming in the way of their survival. One of them is toxins and pollutants from our way of life. Um, and the orcas put that in their fat. They store it there. And so when they're starving, they start metabolizing metabolizing their fat and uh, processing these toxins that can cause illnesses, diseases. Um, it also adds a lot of stress to them. And then the final one is noise pollution. Um, and so this is a line from Alex, Alexandra Morden's book, Listening to Whales, that I absolutely love. It's how we see and experience our world through sight. The orcas do so through sound. Mm-hmm. So that's how, you know, they communicate with each other. That's how they hunt, they reproduce, socialize, all these things that are so, so important for um, their survival. And it's important to know that the Salish Sea, which is their their home, is getting busier and busier. There's more boats, there's more tourists, there's more shipping traffic. So the tankers, barges, tugboats. Um, and the noise pollution from all these vessels makes it harder for them to hunt, socialize, reproduce. Um, And the new study that we're going to talk about said that it also, you know, changed their behavior. So let's say they're trying to reproduce or find food and there's noise disturbance, they might start traveling to to get away from it. So you can imagine if you're already stressed out and starving, this is definitely not helping. Um, And the last point I want to make without rambling on too much Mm -hmm. is, uh, another interesting study from the port of Vancouver that came out that showed this was a few years back, I think in 2017. And if I'm not mistaken, um, and it showed that because of vessel disturbance, vessel noise, the Southern resident killer whales lose up to five hours and a half of foraging time every day. And one third of that noise disturbance comes from commercial whale watching boats and recreational boats. Um, and two thirds of that noise disturbance comes from tankers, tugboats, barges, so the shipping traffic. And I think that's important to keep in mind. That doesn't mean that someone does not have an impact. It just helps kind of see the bigger picture. And I think it's important. And so something that comes up to a lot of people, I think, is how do we save these orcas? And again, that very important part of the puzzle is to bring back the salmon populations, of course, right? If we don't have salmon, if they don't have food, they're going to go extinct. So the first you know, super important thing is that. But at the same time, we also need to be doing every single thing possible to give them a fighting chance. We need to reduce and take away all of these things that are making it harder for them to survive, right? And that's where we come to the whale watching regulations. And I do think that they are good because we do need to reduce that impact, right? So we need to better regulate um, the impact from whale watching boats. Now, that being said, I do think that's my pun of the moment. 
they missed the boat. (laughs) (laughs) They completely messed up by not including recreational boaters in those guidelines. I think that, um, you know, that's the other part of the one third. So recreational boaters that also like to watch the whales that are also operating in these waters should have been included in these regulations. Um, And the other part of that is I also think that they should have regulated um, tankers and barges and tugboats, you know, like that's two thirds of the of the noise disturbance. You can't just ignore it. And so that's where I understand the frustration that came from some of some people in the whale watching community to have a small portion of the impact and still an impact, but a small portion of it um, and see the government not only regulate you and no one else. Um, I see how that can be so frustrating and disheartening and scary because if we only regulate whale watching, it'll help, but it, it won't save the orcas, right? We need to be doing all of these things. Yes. Um, yes. Absolutely. And, and I agree with pretty much everything that you just said. And, and I'm going to get into a little bit of why. Um, so, mm. but I'm going to start by saying, by reminding everyone that I work in the whale watching industry. That is how I make a living. That is how I pay my rent. Like that is my career at the moment. And I do have a science background. Um, majority of the research that I've done has been on bottlenose dolphin. Um, but I have studied other species, but like my, you know, my, my foundation is in science and, I came into the whale watching industry because I wanted to learn and I, I came into the San, I specifically started in the San Juan Islands because the regulations there were based on what I had seen in other places, what I thought to be very good regulations. I was like, wow, they care about the animals here. They want to make sure that people can connect to the animals while still respecting them. And I do still believe that that's true, but I also see more fault now. And I was in the whale watching industry and when I, and I still am, I, I, I work in California now. And, um, when I was up there, I was, I was told that we had, you know, these, that we were protecting the whales by being around them, that we were, um, our boats being around them helped wreck boaters to not be around them. And, um, you know, I didn't really question it because I was like, wow, I was so impressed with how regulated it was that I, and, and also the places that I had seen ecotourism before were like Florida and Tanzania, which are huge hotspots. And so, so many crazy things happen in both of those places. Um, but that's not the point of this. Um, and so I didn't question it. And then, you know, this new study comes out, these new regulations are put into place. I see a bunch of uproar on social media and I was like, I need to find out, like I need to know. And so I went online and I looked up the impacts of vessel noise. And and, in my first search, I found one article and then I, and I thought that that was it. And then I went back and brought in my search and I'm sitting in front of 25 articles right now. um, And I started by going back as far as I could time wise um, and and seeing the progression of what we know. Um, And this, has been so emotionally exhausting because unfortunately we've known about these impacts like this new study that that was just published this isn't news we've known since 1994 that um whale watching vessels in like specifically like interfere with foraging behavior and i went through and i read papers about how orcas communicate and and the impacts that they have and there was even a study where they they did like they put EEGs on orcas so they were literally getting brainwaves from orcas and they were watching their behavioral um changes and what we know about the way that they feed is the southern residents and other resident whales feed through ecolocation and and that 
when they're eco-locating, it's got to be right in front of their, like, right in front of their track. Um, and consistently, and, uh, like, with the studies that I've seen, it's that, like, they, they even do know a difference all the way back in, in 1991 that there's a, or there's a difference between male and female um, feeding behaviors and male and female responses to different boats. Um, there are so many methods for how they've studied these whales. There's so many institutions and a lot of the, the backlash that I was hearing about this new study is like, like, like basically a lot of people felt that they were just trying to confirm things. And I don't think that that's what was going on here. And, and I really feel like I gave this a fair look. I really do feel like I did because I went and pulled every article that I could find and all of them are relatively consistent and, and they all just build with on, with on one another. And it's by different organizations. And also there's articles about the northern resident killer whales which are the most closely related population and the impacts that are had on the the northern resident killer whales as well but we see it's directly impacting their foraging and for me it was like emotionally it was so hard to know that we have known this since 1994 that this was the impact and that we still deny it and when I say we I mean the industry and like I don't I'm not trying to shame anybody here and I genuinely think that like a lot of these articles are really hard to understand for anyone including myself who there like there were some I was like what does this even say I had to do a lot more googling and um you know I think people have good intentions and I don't think it's the naturalists or the deckhands um or even the captains for that matter like I I I there's so much heart like in that community and um my fear is like I do see value in the ecotourism community um and like not just because of the education but because of the community and I do have a couple of quotes that I wanted to read from um Robert Michael Williams thesis from that was um that he finished in 1999 and it's titled the behavioral response of uh, whales to whale watching, opportunistic observations and experimental approaches. So he said a couple of things in here that like really, really stuck with me. Um, so back, he was studying the Northern resident killer whales and the impacts of whale watching. And at the time they had regulations that were put in place by the community. And so there's a quote in here that says, current self-imposed whale watching guidelines attempt to address some of these concerns, but it may be more based on aesthetics than biological relevance. And then, like, and, and here's what the concerns are, is that there are long-term effects, and we see this in lots of taxa, like, and taxa meaning other species. There are long-term effects, and we see it across species that it impacts foraging behavior, land species, sea species, etc. And cetaceans are very vulnerable to this because of the popularity that has happened with cetaceans. Um, and so that was a quote that he said that, like, really stuck with me, and it felt familiar because... A lot of people have been preaching this idea of centennial effects, which means that we're around, um, you know, wreck boats, so they start to behave. But there's no, and I try, I, I'm being as fair as I possibly can by looking at the evidence, like literally the science, the facts, which is where we need to look. And there's nothing about that. And, you know, we could just as easily argue that the boats, the wreck boats are attracted to the whales because they see a bunch of other boats stopped. Um, but I'm going to go and read a couple other quotes that, that I've got here that were really important. Um, yeah, he says, there's evidence from other taxa that repeated disturbance can cause stress and have population level repercussion. Degradation of whales' acoustic environment may have implications on their ability to find food and each other. 
So we know mm. these guys hang out together within acoustic range because that's so important. They have to talk to each other. They're cooperative feeders. They hunt together. Um, and then the final quote that I'm going to share that he put in here. Um, and this is so, so, so important, especially right now. If we do not remain skeptical of the apparent beginning of, of nature... Uh, we're going to start over again. If we do not re uh, remain skeptical of the apparent nature of ecotourism, we risk enforcing token whale-watching guidelines that may be counterproductive. Furthermore, if we do not test the biological relevance of these guidelines, we may end up harming the animals that we uh, desire to appreci appreciate. So... Yeah, it that's... just his thesis, and and he has a publication based on his thesis. That's the one that like literally, it was like I couldn't be objective anymore. It was like full on emotion that like that was a problem in 1999, and it's still a problem today. And that's it kills me. It truly does. And that that's where it reminds me. I mean, first of all, I'm so impressed that you haven't read all of these papers. Uh, I haven't and I, I I don't think that's something a lot of people you know take on and I think that's really powerful and um so first of all yeah thank you for taking the time to do that and um but yeah I think it, it reminds me just as like a, a segue but you know we've known for so long and it reminds me of the climate crisis it reminds me of the dams of just all of these issues that we knew for so long what was going on and we never took action and that breaks my heart as well because um and I, I even feel sometimes you know anger towards that because it's it's now it's on our shoulders to fix it and and it's uh it's a lot it's it's a lot to try and fix it and um and I always think you know what if people had reacted earlier to all of these big issues um yeah yeah I I, I feel that and, and we need sustainable management and unfortunately that's not gonna like adhere to everyone and you know he had another quote where he said um, a suitable management goal then might be to ensure the economic uh, the economic and conservation value of whale watching does not come at the price of excessive stress to the individual or populations and he had talked about how sustainable management included the economic sustainable management of whale watching and here's my fear um, if, if the whale watching industry continues to exist and the killer whales go extinct while they're still on the water, the industry as a whole, I think will also go extinct because, you know, w what we know is, is what the government is doing is, is putting all the fire on, on the whale watching people. And that's a tough, tough place to be in. Um, and so I absolutely can see them getting the blame over other problems and and there definitely is there is some and I don't want to place blame but there's some responsibility to take uh there but I I do think that the industry is very valuable but we need to if we are going to be around endangered species and if we're just going to be around wildlife in general we have to take a certain level of responsibility for ensuring that that wildlife is okay and we're not doing that right now and it's so hard for me to say because I genuinely do feel like people in Washington have the best intentions um, and, and that they do love the whales. But I also feel, and I told you this yesterday and we, we had to re-record this episode because like it, it, it was a little bit too much. And um, I, I feel a sense of betrayal that I was lied to by an industry who told me that like the impacts that we had were different. 
And while I don't think that's the intention, I think that a lot of other people were in the same boat that I was where they just parroted these like centennial effects or whatever. There's no scientific evidence for that. And any institution or group or anybody that's that's preaching that, I urge you to be skeptical of because and, mm. and we should approach everything with skepticism at all times. Any any information, like absolutely fact check it, question it like 100%. That's great. But there's no scientific evidence for that, but there is scientific evidence for 30 years worth of scientific evidence that um, a lot of boats around whales, a certain level of, of propellers, a certain level of noise, like bottom line, it doesn't matter which way you spin it, the southern resident killer whales are impacted by a boat. It doesn't matter if the boat's intention is to save them or not. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think where it's, where there's because there there has been backlash and I and I think where um sometimes it can be a little bit hard to to listen is when people think people think or say that whale watching only benefits the whales because I I do think that commercial whale watching benefits the whales um on one end right it does educate people it does connect people with the whales but you can't also ignore the impact it is having and so I think it's a twofold thing right it it's helping the whales but it is having also an impact on them and so we have to be very careful um you know and I think those quotes that you read I think we're so spot on on making sure that the regulations we have are are staying true to the truth I did want to also comment on the sentinel effect I know there's no studies on it but from working on straight watch and sound watch, and so, you know, being with the whales and monitoring the vessels around the whales, I did see, you know, how commercial whale watching boats can show other boats how to behave around the whales properly. And I've seen, I've seen that. I've seen, you know, the, the commercial whale watching boats perfectly, you know, lined up around the whales, you know, and 200 meters, which putting all that aside, the, the regulations I wore at the time, you know, properly, and then a sailboat or a wreck boat, you know, going super close, like inbound, super close to the whales. And then the commercial whale watching boats, um, radioing in being like, Hey, you're not supposed to be there. So I have seen that. And I've also seen when there were no whale watching boats around wreck boats doing absolutely, Oh my God, just like almost running over the whales by either knowing they were there and getting way too close. And, you know, we were on sound watch and going and being like, there's orcas right there. And them not listening. We're like, there's no orcas and almost running over a pot of orcas. That was the most annoying experience yes. <laughs> ever on the water. And then another one where a boat just didn't know the orcas were there and almost ran them over. So I, I'm not, and, and I think it's important to say, I'm not saying these, I don't know if that's the sentinel effects that people are talking that about, is, but I have seen yeah. how it, yeah. But that doesn't mean that I think, you know, I think you can still have those effects with three boats around the whales. And I think it also brings up a whole other issue of that doesn't, again, negate the impact that you're still having, right? You can 100%. have a sentinel effect and still be adding noise disturbance. And I think also, instead of saying, oh, but we're having a sentinel effect, so we need to all be there. How about instead we look at better educating recreational boaters, right? Like for me, it's insane that if you live near the Salish Sea, you can get a license to have a recreational boat without any education on how to behave around an orca, an endangered species, yeah. a humpback, an orca, um, a sea lion. The number of times on Orca Lab we saw, you know, um, boats just getting way too close to, the, to, to sea lions and, yes. and harassing Pacific white-sided dolphins because they just didn't know. And it's 
And so I think that, you know, we have to have better education on how to spot whales because you are living somewhere where there's an endangered population of orcas. So you need to be able to know how to spot them. And otherwise you shouldn't have a boat, (laughs) you know? So anyways, all this to say that, um, yeah, one does not negate the other. And I think that's where there's a lot of issues. The whale watching regulations came out and some, some people just were like, we're only benefiting and, 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 you know, more powerful, um, to be like, Hey, we are having this impact and we do want to regulate ourselves better to not harm this endangered Southern resident killers and continue to educate people in the best way possible. And at the same time, let's work together to get the government to, you know, regulate recreational boaters and regulate, um, the tankers and the barges and the shit, like, you know, absolutely. Um, and also the, you know, to stop the U S Navy testing, we haven't talked about it yet, but I, I also see this big irony of the government, you know, massively regulating the commercial whale watching industry and then approving the U S Navy testing in the Salish Sea, which is going to be horrible noise Awful. disturbance wise. If you haven't read it, is it too late for the Southern resident killer whales, the outside magazine, it talks about how L one twelve um, was a baby orca that most likely died because of Canadian um, Navy testing. And there's going to be for the next seven years, U.S. Navy testing that is allowed to, you know, massively harm the Southern resident killer whale. So I, that's what, that's what I come back to for Pandora's box. I think this thing allows us to look at two main issues. One, the refusal to admit the impact you're having, and that's on my, way bigger than just a whale washing community. We all do it. Um, you know, I've seen fishermen do it. I, I've, I, I've done it, you know, being yeah. like, I'm not impacting them. Of course I'm impacting them. I'm a human being in a system that harms nature. Yeah, <laughs> like, 100%. And then the, uh, and, and pointing fingers, always being like, it's not me, it's you. If we all stop doing that and work together, we could create much better solutions without just, you know, protecting our interests. Um, and I understand wanting to protect your interests because again, you, you need to make a living. You need to work. Right. And yeah. then the other side of, of these things that's bringing up is the government's refusal to take the big actions we need to take. Right. Because it's true that if you just regulate whale watching, you're not going to save the orcas because you're still going to have all these other issues. So you need to regulate whale watching and do all these other things. And that's the thing is, I think, like, for what I've seen on the Internet, people are like, like, like when when they are you know, negating the impacts of whale watching, they're like, yeah, but the salmon, it's no, and the salmon. And like every action, like, like there are 74 Southern resident killer whales left. We do not have time for anything but actions that save them. And I think that if we put as much time and effort and energy into um, writing our senators and trying to, to write a bill or something like that, or like pushing to, to limit the other vessel noise rather than you know, just saying, oh, we don't make an impact, I think we could get a lot further. And there were a couple things that you said I want to, like, you know, touch base on. So you had mentioned mm-hmm. that um, we need more education. Well, Soundwatch published a paper in 2017, and basically they talked about their 18 years on the water and what they found. And basically they said, like, yeah, the wreck boaters pretty much don't know. Um, like, they do know, and there's definitely been an increase. There was a spike in number of boats in 2015, um, but you know, they, they're like, we need more education and that's what we do. And guess what? Like, I feel like the whale watching community, like if we really truly feel that like, you know, like, like there are other ways to do, like there are other ways around getting people to behave on the water. Like we can make videos, we can like, we can write bills, we can talk to our friends. Like there's so many options that that we have and it's like, we got to take responsibility and like, 
we like, you know, kind of have to turn that frustration and that pain into something else. But you know, another thing, um, I like want to like a statistic that I have from the found watch, um, paper that they wrote was that like, they were talking about the variability of like overall vessel types, um, with whales on the water. And so any activity that was like whale related 45%. So nearly half of those were commercial whale watching vessels. And so half of the boats that are close to about half the boats that are close to the whales are whale watching vessels. So by not being around the Southern residents, we've reduced that by 50%. Right. Do you Pretty know what much. the other, that's super interesting. And yes. I think that's definitely important. Do you know also what the other percentages were? Like, yeah, I, I, I got yeah. them all right here. So 45% commercial whale watching vessels, 27% private vessels, 8% marine industry, meaning shipping slash cargo and commercial fishing, 6% monitoring vessels in parentheses, it says sound watch, 7% kayaks, 1% government, 3% research vessels, um, and 65 of these guys were observed within 0.8 kilometers of the whales and were engaged in whale related activities, whale right. watching activities. Yeah. So, um, which they saw like a That's peak super number of kayaks. Um, like, like there's a lot of kayaks and the kayaks are even like an, apparently now causing disturbance, which like, I didn't know oh, about yeah. that. I, I, I had no idea. That's another whole thing. I know a lot of people will be like, let's just go kayaking and forget that that can also have an impact. I learned that when I was with straight watch. Um, and it's a hard one to get across people. People don't, don't understand that one at all. Um, and I think, you know, what it's making me think of when you were talking about educating, um, the rec boaters, the private boaters and, and all of that. And, and also to talk about that this, you know, um, the whale watching regulations, all of that, I think it comes back to reconnecting with nature. And, and I know we talked a little bit about that, um, uh, you and I together, but you know, if I think people, so first of all, when I was filming coextinction, I just thought about this, but when I was filming coextinction, we went and, um, and filmed, um, and hung out with, um, people from the Lummi nation. And I remember this one man we were speaking with, um, telling me that he was kind of, he was speaking about all the people who were moving to the Salish Sea. And he was saying, when you move here, it becomes your responsibility to take care of this place. And that always stayed with me. And I think no matter what, wherever you live, it is your responsibility to take care of that place. But, um, but I think that's kind of what's missing. I think people just, you know, are out on their private boat or, or whatever and just don't think of the impact they're having. I um, agree. You know, they like, it's just like an orca is here and I want to see it and I deserve to see it. And, um, and I think by reconnecting ourselves with nature and rethinking our relationship with nature and, you know, really respecting the orcas. And also I just want to say, I'm not saying that whale watchers don't respect orcas because I, I have, come to know a lot of whale watchers in, in Washington, BC. And I know, like you said, how much they care about these whales, um, more than anything, it's their entire life. Right. So I know that the respect is there. Um, and that's why I was talking more about private voters. I feel like it can happen that there's no respect and, and it's, a, it's more at the root of the issue. And I think education is the first step, but, but it's something to think of. Right. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I was on a um, conference this week. It was an online conference hosted by Coastal Quest and it was supported by UC Irvine, a couple departments there. And um, Carl Safina had um, brought up this interesting topic of, you know, how we connect to nature and, and, and thinking that it's not a faraway place. Because he said apparently somebody told him that they were going to take their kids to Botswana because they wanted them to love nature. And he was like, well, don't you have a bird feeder or something like that? And like, you need to fall in love with the nature around you. Nature isn't a faraway place. It's mm. it's right here. And like, you know, we're, we're a part of it. And, you know, another um, point that someone brought up, I'm, I'm blanking on this woman's name, but she spoke after him. She said um, that, oh my gosh, what was I saying? I completely. Uh, the woman who spoke after Carl Safina. She said, what did she say? I, I'm literally blanking. He was, oh my God. If you want to have an idea in the meantime. Um, yes. Um, it, I just, I just love that so much because, um, I've had that experience through this year of COVID. Um, I'm very lucky that I, I got to spend most of it, um, up North in, in the woods, um, up North in, in Quebec. But, um, but I used to, you know, I, I love the Pacific Northwest so much and I, and I know I have a, it's, it's my home at heart, you know? And, um, and so sometimes I would just look at the nature there and if I'm not there kind of just like (laughs) was a little bit you know just disregarded the nature here even though it's absolutely beautiful and um being in quarantine here um when when we finished the march I, I came back here and I got to really know the nature here the little birds because they you know there's no there's no orca here. There's no humpback. Yeah. <laughs> but there were these little birds and I started to know them and what they were doing. And I started to, now I know the trees that are here and what they are. And I've started to know all this nature that is here. And it's, it's so beautiful. And, you know, even now when I see a little fly in my house, I'm mesmerized by, by this little life. And I think, yeah, just a hundred percent, you don't need to, of course, going to see the grand nature yeah. is life changing, but um, there's no but need to, to also go to remember the, to the Serengeti or the Salish. Like it's everywhere. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I do remember what she said. Now she said, um, she said that like Elon Musk and and somebody else had plans for us living in space, but right now we live on Earth, and and so many people rely on that, and that's why <clears throat> we have to take care of it. Um, it's my biggest fear. Yeah. Not my biggest fear, but one of my big fears, like moving to another planet. I'm like, girl, we do not have the infrastructure. Like at this mm. time, I don't think that that is even close to a concern. Like there's no way that could, there, I don't, I genuinely don't think there's any way that that could happen anytime soon. And I also find that's where we come back to, to that idea of, or come back. We haven't talked about it in this podcast, but I know you and I have talked about it a lot. The human centric mindset, right? How... <laughs> how um what's the word like rude almost um to just be like we'll move to another planet but all this other life yeah. on earth will die You're that's done. cool <laughs> you know, I'm like yeah like that's a little not a, that's not okay <laughs> See, but you know it's not okay and but also at the same time like I think in like in the light of destruction and in the light of like the humans leaving, I think the planet could reclaim itself and be okay <laughs> what we had it destroyed up until that point would be okay like we saw the, some northern residents coming back that had never come back because it, no boats were on the water. And that was an, another mm-hmm. big thing that they were talking about, like, these long-term effects. And um, we don't know the long-term effects, but they think, like, 
potentially like that's like you know it pushes the animals out of their habitat and like that is a very real possibility and you know like I was talking to an up-and-coming podcaster this morning his name is Jim I believe his last name is Whitehead sorry Jim if that's not your last name um but he was talking about how Ocean Sun who's a member of LPOD that's um Lolita's Mm. mom how she was how she's been through the capture era and how she's been through, like, all this, like, whale-watching stuff. And he talked about, like, the southern residents have been harpooned. And, like, she's been through that, too. And he's, like, and she's still here. She's seen all that. And I was, like, holy shit, you're right, dude. Like, and, like, the fact that they, they've gotten to this point. They they made it through the capture era. They made it through the harpooning. They made it through, like, all this other terrible stuff. And now they're starving. And, like, that's why I like you know that article that was just published is like is it too late that's why I don't think that it is like I think that yeah okay like the science shows that like it there's pretty good chance that they'll die but like do you, do you know how many other odds that they've overcome like are you kidding me like they could do it again like but that is given that we establish the conditions to make that happen and and we go back to this human centric mind or whatever and I think you know we talk about overall how that impacts the entire planet but like on a microcosm level in the whale watching community, like, you know, and, and, and in the community in general of like, well, I need my job and I need this and that. Like, yes, you do need a job. And like, I think another thing they're fighting for is the community because it's, it's undeniable how magical and beautiful and amazing the, you know, the community of people around whale watching is. Um, but when the history books are written, where do you want to stand? And and I feel like I'm in a very vulnerable spot talking about this because like, I mean, I, I potentially risk losing my job by having this conversation right now. And, um, but like there was, you know, the paper, the first one that I was reading on the impacts of killer whales, it was written in 1999, um, by David, um, Briggs. He basically was talking about how, um, like there were like there were literally bombs and like shots and like guns and things that were going into the water in the 1980s in the 1980s are you kidding me and he goes Uh. today this seems unthinkable and i like i don't want like it i think if we look back at 20 years from now it would be unthinkable to be like why are we in the water with endangered whales and i want them i want everyone to see the southern resident killer whales i want everyone to enjoy them but, like, I think we have to back off right now. I'm not saying forever, but I'm saying right now. And we have to hone all that frustrated, anxious, very valid energy of how it's not fair. Because it isn't fair that, like, the whale watching industry is, like, the only thing that gets focused on, it seems, sometimes. Mm. Um, like, but we need to focus that into solutions because we can't afford not to at this point. And, like, I, you know, I was, like, thinking about how, like, this this is a risky conversation for me to have. Um but I can't afford not to have it and like it's hard and like I'm sure that I'm gonna get backlash and I'm sure that people aren't gonna like what I have to say or you know what this conversation has to say but we have to talk about it because like there's some there are some very messed up things happening and we have to fix it yeah I I loved what you said about putting oh that was so perfect what you said of just like putting that angry frustration and unfairness that um that the whale watching community is being so heavily focused on and 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 scapegoated and all of that to not to just focus that on saving the whales right On, on on bringing back the salmon on reducing shipping traffic on just doing everything 
and working together, right? I think um, I think there's still a lot of that missing. Um, I think so, and and, uh, yeah. and I think that's that's our way through. I think that's our way through for again. That's what I love with the stories of these whales is that you can go from the macro perspective of like how working together will save these whales to the wait micro yeah to the to the bigger perspective of how working together can save you know all the big issues we're facing in this planet and um and and there's such a powerful teacher in that way i find you can learn so much from from these orcas and that's why i think um yeah that's why it's so important that we protect them and that we talk about them (laughs) yeah i think so too and and you know what like it maybe it doesn't feel fair to the industry but like are we gonna like who is it really unfair to are the whales Mm. the salmon and like most importantly who doesn't get talked about is all the indigenous people who were here and coexisted and valued and loved those whales before people came in and destroyed yes and that's who it's not fair to and so it's like Mm. you know it's not fair to everybody but it's it's most it's most not fair to them and like we like this is this is a social issue this is an environmental issue this is an economic issue and here's the thing like if it, if it comes down to money on, like, why you guys don't want to, you know, why, why you don't want to watch the Southern residents, like, we'll find a way to make income. Like, there are so many other ways we can educate. If that's your goal is to make a living and to educate people about whales, we can find a way to do that. And we can still watch the bigs, the humpbacks. Yeah. And so I think that's where I understand. I mean, I feel like at that point, I'm just going back to what we already said. But, yeah. Um, you know, just uh, let's fix all the other problems like the the recreational boaters not knowing and not being educated enough yes and the shipping traffic and all of that but um i think so and if you have an idea like like speak up get together like throw it out there because like it's like things need to get done so if you see a hole like please Mm. go fill that hole like and and that's the thing too is like yeah i don't think that whale watching is bad i think that it's you know like it has the potential to be an amazing interest industry when done positively. It can have tremendous economic like benefits, people being in nature. Like we see that people who spend more time in nature have better mental health, like, et cetera. And, and that's why I'm saying that we need to stop watching the whales because if we don't, the industry I think will go extinct as well. And I don't want that either. And I think it's about renewing ourselves. It's about like shedding the skins. You know, we're, we're constantly learning. We're constantly learning about ourselves, about this world and how it works, about relationships. And I think as long as we hold truth as a core value and accountability um, and empathy um, and openness, you know, being able to converse openly, which we started this podcast with, I think... Yes that's the way through and being okay to shed layers and being okay to be like I was wrong um and to 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 recreate the industry that's what I where I'm getting at by by renewing ourselves you know there's so many opportunities I know it's a whole other topic but um um if we talk about fishing there's a whole um way of recreating the industry in a way that doesn't harm wild salmon populations at all and so you know that's the whole thing again on renewing yourself how can you reimagine a new system um and i think that's what how we got to think about it you know yeah and i think that's like that's so important that you bring that up and and at the end of the day we do need to remember as humans we do have a choice and while things seem daunting and they seem hard um we we can't we don't have the luxury to not 
try anymore we have to make a difference like we don't Mm. have the luxury to sit around and say like oh well like it's bad but like it's too big it's too heavy like no we got to do something about it and like people have paved the way for us before like there's tons of environmentalists and people that have, have fought for human rights that did things that seemed impossible at the time and like we you know like margaret mead said and and carl safina brought this up in in the conference as well like it takes and i'm paraphrasing like a you know a small group of dedicated citizens to change the world and and I agree with you. I think if we come together, we can do this. And if, and if we put all of our efforts into, like... Like, can you imagine how amazing it would be if all the whale-watching people, all the researchers, like, all these, like, nonprofits, like, any whale-related person came together and was like, we are going to start a campaign to, to get, you know, these whales some salmon, to, like, do this or to do that. Like, we would be so much more powerful. And, like, and that's the thing is, like, I think that that is where the whale-watching industry could really like help and and solve problems maybe more effectively than others because they have such a reach because they're the ones that are like inspiring people on the water and and all that and know these whales so they much know they really whales. yeah i feel like other than you know the center for whale research and <laughs> like they're the ones who know the whales best so and that's so they've important. seen them grow up right yeah they've seen and i think personalities yeah all of it all of it Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. It's all good, it's all um, good. <laughs> and a thought that I had, like, that you and I had discussed um, earlier, and that I don't want to forget that I think is important that we think about and chew on is, you know, we're asking all these people to make these changes, and I think it, it will be really hard for us to ask people at the dams to completely mm. uphill and change their lives um, for whales that they probably do not give a flying fluke about. They probably don't even know who they are when the people who care the most aren't willing to make one change, which that change being not watching the Southern residents, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely, and it goes back to that pointing fingers and to, and to being open to, I've, this whole conversation and what you even just said really reminds me of, um, of just being imaginative and creative in how we imagine our future and being able to reimagine and reinvent uh, systems and businesses and all of it in a way that does that that doesn't just harm that doesn't harm nature anymore right yeah um of course nature will always be to some like a resource as well but it can't just be that and i'm thinking about that as like a river is seen mostly now as a resource it's not seeing as this beautiful life-giving force that you know is home to the salmon you know what i mean we use them for dams and and for electricity and there's that article that had come out of how rivers they forget if it's the u.s army corps of engineers or or something like that the u.s government wanted to to uh say that rivers weren't meant for salmon anymore (laughs) you know what i mean and so and so i also think you should um the one of the producers on coextinction andrew luba is uh is such a brilliant human and he created this game called futures which allows you to imagine a different future and this makes me think of that what if we imagined a different future in which you know we could just work together to create these systems that really are just and and that work you know that don't um completely um harm a person or a being you know what I mean yeah and and that's the thing is like and if we think about it all the systems that we have currently in place are all made up so just remake them up right Mm. you know yeah um 
and we can get there and and that's the thing is like there is like there is hope out there and i think that like the media and that people who have different agendas out there will tell you that there's not and will will tell you other things but i think if we like you said remain rooted in truth and and, and like the truth of like what nature needs and we get that truth from science and not from biased entities or groups who claim to be scientific that aren't like true science I think we'll get there because like back in the day when when awful 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 things happened it's because we didn't have science but now we do so now there's literally no excuse because we know what's harmful and we have to fix it and like it's hard but we 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 have to there's no option not to at this point yeah but i think we're gonna get there do you have any other thoughts no i think i'm uh i i think we covered it all and it was a very uh is 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 filled with a lot of information um and i think i'm I'm excited to hear what people think about this and continue the conversation um and and yeah yeah I'm, i'm just that's about it yes and i appreciate you being here and i appreciate everyone who made it to this point and listened all the way through and if you have questions or you don't agree like let's have a conversation about it and like Mm. you know i'm here to listen and i'm here to share information and so is gloria and like you know we're we're all on the same team at the end of the day everybody wants to save the southern residents and we have to do everything that we can to get there and we have to acknowledge that we all play a role and we all have an impact um so yeah, I think that's all I have. Um, and I think we'll we'll share the the, the studies and, and scientific papers too, if anyone is curious to read them. Yes. Um, I, full disclosure, have read the titles and listened to Erica explain them to me, but I have not read them all and I will. Yes. Um, it's going to take a while and I definitely like recommend if you are in the whale watching industry and you're reading these, um, take it slow and take some breaks because at least... You know, if you're anything like me, it it might hit some emotional chords that aren't awesome to feel. Um, <laughs> not at all, but um, I'm sorry, it's not a laughing at you. It's uh, it's just I don't know. It's I just no, it's funny. It like just it's just a... yeah, it's not like it was not fun going through this. I had approximately seventy four breakdowns this week, one for each killer whale. Um, <laughs> No, it's, no, it's, it's, and if, if somebody needs to have a conversation about, like, the emotional part of it, too, like, we totally can have that conversation because it is painful to see, um, our negative impact on the whales. Mm. It is, it hurts, Mm. it hurts when you love those whales, oh my god, um, but we have to look at it because if, if we don't look at it, if we don't face that pain, if we don't face that situation, I think that's kind of what it boils down to and maybe why we haven't changed is we're not willing to admit because it hurts, but, like, mm. it, how badly is it going to hurt if those whales go extinct? Like, you, you got to face the pain now and deal with it now because it's it's not too late yet, but it could be if we don't. So, yes. Mm. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening again. Um, and I think we're for real going to log off this time. Um, so, yeah. bye, thank everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you gained something from listening to that. Um, But if you guys are wanting to get more involved and be kind of active in the participation of this conversation, you guys should check out Jordan Lerma's Instagram page. Um, His 
Username is U-H-E-H-E-U. So um, just look that up. He's a researcher at Cascadia, and he's hosting a discussion about the Southern Residence. Um, and I'm going to be participating in it. I know he's hosting it with somebody else, and they're trying to get more people um, involved. So if you guys want to participate in the discussion, learn something new, um, check that out. But thanks so much for joining us, and I hope you guys have a whale of a week.